Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and uh, I do a bit of film journalism as well every now and again. Uh, And despite the fact that I do film journalism and have been doing so for um, over a decade, I have not seen the film we're going to be talking about today, The Long Good Friday, or at least I hadn't seen it until Dan suggested it. Dan, why did you suggest this film? Because I love it, Sam. (laughs) Um, It manages to include all of the tropes of, like, British gangsterism that I like, and it manages to sidestep all of the ones that I don't like. Okay, Um, so that's interesting. So what what don't you like? um, I don't like uh, a sort of uh, seaside caricature artist version of a Cockney. (laughs) Mm-hmm. like bellowing about different types of guns. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, for, a, for a lot of people slightly younger than us uh, or who aren't perhaps English themselves, uh, British crime cinema kind of started with Guy Ritchie and Lockstock. And while I enjoyed those films, they've kind of birthed a whole separate version of British gangster cinema, which is much more like sort of brash and like celebratory of a certain like set of of sort of criminal characteristics whereas something like long good friday is a much more reserved i mean it's still got some bombast to it it's still yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't describe this film as as reserved i mean compared to revolver sam (laughs) i mean i I also wouldn't compare (laughs) it to revolver (laughs) but but what i mean is that it's I mean, I, I just think it's a classier breed of film, I guess, is what it comes down to. Okay, that's interesting. And where do you think that class comes from? Um, I think it's because the there's a, there's a vein of cynicism that runs through it, but it's anchored in people genuinely believing that they're doing something worthwhile. Like, I know we're jumping ahead of talking about the story a little bit, but uh, Hoskins's character in the film has, has, you know, one of his big prides is that he's brokered this peace between all the different sort of fractious gangs of London uh, and that this has stood for ages. And then when the events of the film kick off, it threatens that. And he uh, ends up, like, kind of being his own worst enemy in a lot of ways because once that falls apart through a mixture of pride and frustration and then also like a little bit of revenge, uh, he starts to become part of the thing that's eroding the the stability of this world he's been so integral in building. I actually think that's uh, that's a fine um, description of the plot. I don't think we need to go into the plot other than that, really, because you never know. There are other people out there that, that won't have seen this one. Um, yeah, and and so uh, how do you feel about um, what's his name? Harold Shand is that the that's the name of the character, yes. isn't it? How do you feel? I mean, there's going to be so many people listening to this going, you know, Sam doesn't even know the name of this iconic character. But um, <laughs> how do you feel about that character? Why well, I, I I like him again because he's he's an interesting thing and like I, you know the, the audio commentary and, and the extras and the interviews and stuff go into this a lot but i think one of the strengths of that character on screen is provided by mirren's character being 
a, a proper three-dimensional fleshed out character but also through Shan's respect for her and kind of reliance on her as a grounding throughout the film and and in the third act without going into too much him kind of like breaking that respect for her and becoming a you know uh, a, a less uh, equal partner with her in that one scene which is you know one of the amazing sort of emotional uh, trajectories that Hoskins goes through in in individual scenes in the movie uh, is kind of like a sign of the beginning of his 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 like undoing. Yeah, I I, I think he's a, he's a really interesting character. He definitely be, like he there's a there's a speech on the boat at the beginning when he says I'm not a I'm not a uh, I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman, uh, and he definitely sees himself as a businessman, even though his business is on the edges of legality often past the edges of legality he's not uh you know when we get into recommendations a lot of the the films that sort of have similarities to this the the protagonists are they're, obviously they're also anti-heroes but they're much more like involved in drugs and prostitution and and more overtly like traditional criminals than um than Shand is. I think he, he, he strikes a really interesting balance. And so um, it's kind of, there is an unusual element to his character, which is um, that he's kind of quite openly racist. And obviously, you know, this is something that kind of used to be part of cinema, but it isn't so much anymore. Like the, the one that really springs to mind is Travis Bickle. Um, yeah. And so we've kind of had discussions about art and the artist and the separation of that. Um, and this feels like a, an interesting opportunity to talk about, you know, character and, and you know, yeah. what kind of character flaws that they can have. But you can still like them because obviously you like this character despite that, you know, pretty huge character flaw. You, you know, what are your thoughts on the separation of, uh, of uh, an anti-hero's behaviour uh, with how you feel about them. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're ever meant to be 100% on board with his success. He's not being presented to you as a as a an unflawed individual. Oh, no, absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. But no, and I just think, my, my point no, is, I, I, um, just in, in case I'm not being clear, it, it's that specific aspect to his character which can be a huge turnoff for some people oh, of course today yeah. for you know younger people watching this who have kind of different moral boundaries i think they'll find that sequence really shocking um and so uh I, and i'm not you know I, I i'm just asking the question rather than putting any judgments onto yeah anything. no no i mean yeah, I, I get you completely, and yeah, it's, I, but I, you know, that scene is definitely meant to be shocking, yeah. and I think that that character trait is being used as a tool to escalate how like affronting that scene is. It's interesting to compare it to his very uh, like sort of casual and 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 although it's still to some extent in, uh, like couched in the the sort of backward language of the era, how comfortable he is with his best friend being gay. Um, so he's, you know, he's definitely being painted as someone who's somewhat progressive, but still is like a, a problem, a deeply problematic character. And it's interesting to compare this to the role that he would go on to play in Mona Lisa, who, uh, who again is sort of being played as, as shown as someone who is dealing with a world that has moved on without them in Mona Lisa. Yeah. Whereas, um, in Mona Lisa, uh, 
that was kind of that mindset was the starting point for the character and he very much goes on a journey that that changes him um changes that specific aspect of his character um whereas here it's just a part of him and it's not part of him that changes at any point without wanting to to get too entrenched in the ending mm. um i think one of the things is that it is his resistance to change exactly that is yeah, yeah. his problem yeah yeah but that but that in itself is part of his character arc yeah. he because he ref, because he's stuck in his ways because he won't address those problems yeah. even though in some areas he is comparatively progressive he's got a smart woman rather uh, you know a smart woman he's in a relationship with rather than just a like a floozy or a mole um his best friend is homosexual and he you know he's he's not uh he doesn't have any kind of problem with that whereas you know culturally at the time it would be totally normal for a, a like a gangland film to have that be a you know something that was uh sort of responded to in a very different manner so like he's he's painted as a complex character but nevertheless his refusal to adjust to change and to acknowledge that other people will have different situations. Like, the whole central spine of the story, especially once we get past the reveal, is about belief systems uh, and about how they can give people power, but they can also cripple people in, in social, like, endeavours. And, and yeah, that's his, that ends up being his downfall. And, uh, yeah, I, I suppose... Um yeah, everyone in it is a fanatic in in sort of some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. No, I just thought it would be an interesting thing to discuss because, uh, yeah, no, I do, I, I do agree that that it, it, it's it's a very different art to Mona Lisa, and I wasn't comparing them. Um, it, it's just completely different stories, and yeah, uh, yeah the fact that he is um, stuck in his ways uh, is definitely a part of this. Um, yeah, I, I have a go on. Sorry, I have a I have a note here. <laughs> I can't remember exactly when I wrote it down while watching it, but I've just written nothing cripples power faster than ignorance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, there you go. I feel that that's a, a good underpin for for Hoskins's character. And yeah, obviously, this and Mona Lisa are very very different films, but they are often also kind of thought of as a pair. I mean, the Arrow double bill of the two of them being released together, for example. Yeah, I think that's more. Yeah. Anyway, let's not get into that. Yeah, uh, so obviously this was the first watch for me. And um, how did you find it? Uh, you did was that enough to turn you off the whole film? Or no, no. Like I say, I am very much. I, I mean, maybe I've I've come on a bit of a journey myself over the past um, few years of doing this podcast. Um, I think I used to be a lot more um, kind of. Uh, I couldn't separate art and the artist, and um, I couldn't. Um, yeah, if a character behaved in a certain way, then you know I find it very difficult to get on board with. But I think I've been on a bit of a journey, and and now, yeah, I'm much more kind of ready to to do that because I think if we don't separate art and the artist, then pretty much everyone's problematic in some way. Um, yeah. Certainly from a certain era in film and and in books and and all the rest of it and. I think, you know, it is, you're potentially closing yourself off to uh, an experience. Um, oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, for example, I wasn't going to use this, but uh, basically uh, I'm kind of, I'm writing a, a Western at the moment 
and um, I read a, a Western novel uh, by a, a, an artist that you certainly don't like, Dan, so I'm not going to uh, directly advertise his wares because I think that would be against the spirit I, of the podcast. But I um, think I know exactly who you mean then. Yeah, and so I read this book and it was beautiful. Like, it was absolutely incredible. And there were elements to it that, you know, kind of made me rethink my perspective a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's honestly one of the best books I've read. And um, it, it's one of those books where you read a sentence and you have to stop and take a break because the sentence that you've read is so perfect. Um, so, yeah, I, I've definitely come on a, a, a real journey um, when it comes to that stuff. So, uh, I think, yeah. I mean, it's something to struggle with because the the other side of it uh, is obviously I, I wouldn't want anyone to feel marginalized and um, I, I wouldn't want to support something that alienates people or, or, or makes them feel sad. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really tricky one on, on, on both sides of the fence, really. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the two things to bear in mind with uh, like looking at older films, because, you know, you and I are both fans of, of movies going all the way back through the history of cinema. Um, but we both, I think it's fair to say we both have a soft spot for stuff from the 60s and 70s. And and I think that that often comes across as most difficult because it's recent enough that it doesn't feel ancient, but it's old enough that the like the social ethos is so completely fucking distant from from how, where we are now. And I think that when you're looking at uh, like problematic content in older films or even in in modern films, um, the two things to think about are: is it a is it part of the character? Or is it, uh, and is there someone um, like resisting it in the narrative? Or is it going unchallenged in the narrative? Or more problematic yet, kind of part of the narration voice? Is it just accepted as, as okay? within the within the world of the film without being challenged and then secondly well that's in, uh, um, before you get to the rest of this i just yeah, want to step yeah, in because yeah. that's interesting like even on your own terms of this film because he's not challenged and it is kind of accepted i mean but you he's, can, but you he's can challenged do the work. by the director is he and challenged the by the director you do have yeah, to, absolutely. to fill in a lot of blanks in order for that to be the case but you have to fill in a lot of blanks with any good script Otherwise, it's just being handed to you. Like I think, that I, I he, think that I, your tone, I, your tone suggests you feels you feel like what you just said is a gotcha moment. Whereas um, I feel like no, you've just no, not misunderstood just, what I've just said, which is, I, um, you know, on on the terms that you just laid out, yeah. is he challenged within the world? It, I mean, directly yes. challenged within the world, and you're saying that he's being challenged by the director. How so? Talk to me about that. Well, again, without getting too much into the ending, it is his refusal to change that is his undoing. And by demonstrating to us that he represents these outmoded ideas, these problematic ideas, we are shown that he is this sort of like creature of the past. Now, my second point was that you always have to look at it within the the structure of the age. No, I don't um, agree with that. So while I don't That's that's an excuse I, I, that so many people use. But, I think um, I think that I think that things can be progressive within the confines of their era. 
Um, and obviously that's a, that within itself is a huge spectrum. But I think celebrating uh, the problems of the past is very different than uh, like not being as progressive as one could be. So yeah, I think that there are places, and I'm not talking specifically about Longer Friday now, I'm just talking in general. I think there are places where films that, uh, like, where everyone involved looking back on it would be like, yeah, we could have fucking been a bit better there. Like, that, that's problematic. We shouldn't have done it quite like that. But that those, those things don't necessarily undermine the positives about the film to the same extent. Now, obviously, they're going to change how the film is viewed, and one always has to be aware going into these films that there are going to be issues like that. Um, but I think that that's very different to a film that uh, that puts up a like that makes an argument in within the world rather than as a character that is an endorsement of the worst aspects of those eras. Yeah, I I think there's a I mean there's a small chance that you're um, projecting uh, progressive as you say um, values onto the film. Uh, you know, Helen Mirren is. Uh, magnificent actress and you know a, a, a magnificent presence in the industry and if anyone else had played that part it would have been a typical bimbo um, oh you're completely right well if anyone else had played that part it would have been a bimbo because it was Helen yeah. Mirren that required yes. it to be rewritten I know that's what but, that's what I'm saying yeah <laughs> um yeah, yeah. yes but all the every film is a collaboration of every artist on set of course it know? is um but you know, and there are some sort of, you know, gay slurs used in the film by Harold Shan. So, you know, the, the friendship is, is an interesting one. It's not something that I massively sort of picked up on as being forward thinking when I when I watched the film. Right. That, so that's kind of what I meant about like the context of the era, the 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 character within within the context of when it was made when it's set that he is being very progressive in his attitude to his friend the fact that he is still using weapon words in his uh in his language uh is from where we stand in a a more enlightened time obviously problematic but it is still you know he is still being painted in contrast to the world he is still being painted as someone who is more progressive than the world around him right interesting i mean we knew we knew that stuff was bad in the 80s <laughs> it's not like this isn't a film from you know the 1800s or whatever um when i would argue they also knew that certain things were bad um but yeah i just hate that argument oh it was a different time um I, d I don't think it's i don't think it's a catch-all and i don't think it gives a free pass for everything but i think that it is foolish not to I think it's foolish to ignore that as uh, that context when you're examining the politics of a film from the past. Yeah, as, as you as you said, if you if you can't if you can't understand things as a time capsule, then you have to write off an astonishing amount of great art. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm just I'm purely getting into this. It was like a um, a devil's advocate debate to try to. Uh, uh, make more sense of what you're saying because what you uh, kind of preferred was um, uh, kind of not quite along the lines of what I feel the film delivers. I, I still debate that that specific scene really directly relates to the ending. Um, 
but you know we can't really get into that without getting into spoilers but uh, i feel that you could remove that scene and that element and the point would still be absolutely made um it contributes nothing um to the arc and it's not directly addressed at any point in the film do you not think it's the the win a window into the darkest bit of shand Um, do you think that that's not him at his most base yeah no i i definitely would say that you know it's um it's him at his most vile and unlikable and um you know i i'm just yeah uh, i'm not sure um yeah I, i mean like i say uh just an interesting debate to get into with you because uh i know that you are very 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 um socially aware and you know i would say that you would describe yourself as a social justice warrior with great pride um and so when these opportunities present themselves i do like to challenge you a little bit because um yeah. No, that's, and that's totally obviously that's totally fine, uh, and I think that we're going to continue to have this conversation for a long time yeah. because it is a very complex and nuanced debate. I, I think it's, and I, I've, I've, uh, Colin Geddes said to me, and I've quoted this on the on the podcast before when we we were talking about Goodbye Uncle Tom, one of the most problematic films. <laughs> uh, he said these films are like fur coats. Uh, we can appreciate them for their beauty, but we shouldn't be making them anymore. And I that for me has always felt like a sort of almost a, a perfect summary of this kind of thing because i do like a lot of films from the you know from the past that have some very problematic elements to it and so maybe to some extent you know some of this is rationalization on my part but also i do think that there is it's less about art and artist and art because i i think the problem with the argument about separating the art from the artist is that in intrinsic within that argument is saying you have to be able to enjoy the things the artist made without the things the artist was saying when they made them and i know that that's not exclusively what that point is you know there are other things where you know problematic people haven't necessarily put those problematic thoughts into those pieces of art but i i yeah i sorry i'm i'm, I'm drifting a little bit i do i do think it's different to be painting a portrait of an offensive scene than to be painting a portrait like through an offensive lens so just to again you know just to to round off this discussion a little bit but um how do you ratify being such a massive fan of hp lovecraft in those terms Uh, i mean so for example if lovecraft was still alive today i wouldn't pay money for his books because i wouldn't want to fund him now he is uh, a gross sociopathic anti-semite like fuck um and he has had an undeniably indelible uh impression on the genre landscape you know they're they're kind of interwoven i don't think there's i i think if you're adapt i mean the problem is i think a lot of his stuff but in modern terms is kind of unreadable there's some amazing interest there's some amazing uh imagery in there there's some amazing ideas but it's all mired down into this very like cack-handed misan like racist misanthropy yeah um and i and as a result i don't particularly enjoy his written works what i do enjoy is the uh 
the adaptation of those works that can be taken and used in another way. Yeah. So, for example... I feel like Someone... I feel like that's kind of the ultimate separation of art and the artist, <laughs> like because oh, his art is still yeah. the basis of those things. Um, well, it is and it isn't. I mean, how similar is Reanimator to the short story it's based on? You know, like the but Shadow with, of Rinsmith, one, the fish people are basically Jews. Without w- one, the other wouldn't exist. Can... Well, yeah, of course, but you know, I I feel that's a reductive argument. Also, like. A, a, a terrible person can paint a beautiful picture and someone can, you know, 20, 50, 100 years later, someone can willfully misinterpret that picture to create an amazing piece of art without carrying across any of the politics of the person who painted it. I think that it's... Um, yeah, it's it, it, Love, Lovecraft obviously is an easy example because his, uh, his problematic views are so well-known, so documented. Yeah, that, that's um, why you but see also it as an <laughs> But it's also a bad example because there's, like, we've... Almost everything has been, that's been done has been so distant from his work. Um, I've obviously, I've, I'm yet to see Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, but I, I love the idea that something is being willfully adapted to go ag- literally against what he would have wanted politically from his work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm very excited to see that. I just, yeah, I feel like y- y- people, I, you know, to say that you can't separate art and the artist and then be uh, a Lovecraft fan on whatever level... I know you're saying it's a bad example, but I just don't think it scans. Um, I don't, but I don't consider myself a Lovecraft fan. I consider myself a Stuart Gordon fan. I consider myself a Richard Stanley fan. I consider myself a Cthulhu fan, but I do not consider myself a Lovecraft fan. Right. Well, that's that is different to um, to some of the discussions we had when we lived together. So that is a, that is progress. Because um, yeah, I queried the uh, the fact that you had that big book, but I guess you use it to. Um, as reference for these other things. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I look at awful, awful medical footage day in, day out for my day job. It, it doesn't mean I endorse, you know, Mexican cartel beheadings or, you know, whatever has caused those photographs to have to be taken. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just to, to make it clear, I'm specifically talking to Dan about this. I am a separation of art and the artist person, though I've, I've never really been a fan of Lovecraft. But if you are, more power to you. And as long as you're not um, going around being... Also a massive racist. A big old racist, <laughs> then, uh, then that's, that's fine by me. Um, I think, I, think I, I wouldn't say that it's impossible to separate the art from the artist. I just don't think it's easy, that's all. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's probably fair enough. Uh, though, is it? I don't know. Um, right. <laughs> uh, shall we talk a little bit about the extras? You, you, you mentioned them earlier on. Uh, how did you feel about the commentary? I liked the commentary. I'll be completely honest with you. I watched it a little while ago now, so it's not super fresh in my mind. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it's a solid commentary. Uh, like like the Mona Lisa one, it's not got the the largest amount of uh, of extras on it, but what they have is pretty exhaustive. Yeah, um, it's a great documentary. There is there is, yeah yeah, it's a really good documentary. They've got good interviews with a lot of people, which some of which have been ported over from previous releases, some of which aren't. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a solid disc. 
And just yeah, with regards go. to the film, like we we spent quite a lot of time on the ideological stuff, and I, I'm kind of conscious that there are people listening to this who absolutely love this film and have grown up on it, and you know can quote it because you know there is a lot of quotable stuff in there. Um, that the line about the mafia, I imagine, was quoted quite a lot. But um, yes, <laughs> yeah. Sh- should we let's let's do a bit of a, a celebration of of some of the great elements in it because there are a lot of Im- impressive details here. Like I, I very much enjoyed the opening of the film, like the first kind of six oh. minutes or so, where you're like, yeah. what the f- what the fuck is going on? Um, you know, obviously this is me coming to it very late. But I was sitting there going, okay, right, where is this taking me? Who's that? What's this? And, you know, it does trust the audience and it kind of reveals the information kind of slowly. It's very kind of novelistic in in, in that way. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was great. A lot of really strong visual storytelling, a lot of fantastic shots. There's one incredible shot where um, it's it's the one that that pans uh, across the buildings and then kind of comes down into a driving car, like, you know, in the front of a driving car. And I actually had to rewind that to be like, hang on, was there a cut there? Like, how did they do that? Um, But clearly they had the camera guy on on the front of the car, (laughs) Um, you know, on a little platform or whatever. So uh, I I thought that was very impressive. How about you? What are some of your favourite elements and moments of this film? Uh, the uh, they they actually they discuss the the technical side of it in some depth on the extras, which I found really uh, like interesting. But I've always been a big fan of the car explosion for obvious reasons, yeah, you know, from special effects reasons. Um, when designing special effects, one of the one of the key things to think about, especially so, there's like there's a few different types of effects, and I don't mean like you know wind and rain and versus prosthetics. I mean like gags are a specific subset and gags are like things like a a puppet or a rig or whatever that's been built to achieve one specific moment um and and the thing about putting together gags and and there's they're almost my favorite they're the closest to magic tricks is they're so often about misdirection or about um or about uh like knowing what the audience is going to be looking for and and giving them that but then like you can with your other hand you can be doing something else uh and that car explosion i mean they they go into it in in great length on the on the dock but they actually yeah. do a small version of the car explode with the uh, with the stuntman in the car and mm-hmm. they talk about like why they chose the shots they did at the beginning of that lead-in shot so that they could hide that it was a stunt double and it's yeah that's absolutely fantastic i think all the way through it there's there's a real um there's a real eye on what's the not just they want this sort of like razor thin tightrope that's between like the leanest way to tell the story and then also like the fancy way to tell the story yeah like as far as cinematography goes yeah oh 100 percent. yeah 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 it's really yeah it's beautifully photographed beautiful shots yeah and uh yeah Yeah. strong script and you know even though many people listening to this will have seen it and might be disappointed that we're not talking about the the very end moments because they are pretty powerful uh i do think we should stay away from them um what do you think uh i agree with you entirely i would say if you want to hear insight into the end of this film go back and re-listen to the mona Lisa episode because there's some bob hoskins chat towards the end of that uh that kind of obliquely refers to 
the end of this film. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> while we're talking about other episodes, I always forget to do this, and uh, I'm not going to forget to do it this episode because it's actually quite important that we let people know um, of uh, quite a big change that's happening next time. Um, so in two weeks, dear precious Arrowhead, uh, we will be covering the third murder. Now, this will be our first Arrow Academy release. Um, so uh, that's quite a oh, big yeah. deal. But it's a film that Dan's so passionate about. Uh, that, that I love it so that, much. Uh, we felt we should make it our first Arrow Academy. Um, and there are others on, on the Academy that I'd really love to cover. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure Sweet Smell of Success is on Academy. Um, but anyway, oh, I mean, we'll um, I, yeah, in a in a heartbeat. We'll, <laughs> if, if it is, we'll um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get back to you on that, dear Arrowhead. And if there are any Academy titles you would like us to cover in the future, now we're, we're doing this first one, please do tweet us or email us at the usual address. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think the, the the majority will still be traditional Arrow video, but we are we now have. Uh, remit to to cross lanes slightly yeah so so do let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover and do please pick up the third murder because that's another reason to let you know about it way in advance um because i suspect this is one that not everyone will have in their collection and as dan is so passionate about it hopefully you will take that as a mark of quality and pick it up so you can listen to that episode and not be lost though i do think we do try to make these things listenable if you haven't watched the film but um yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no way we'll talk about the ending because no. it's a, it's it's twist heavy, and b, it's uh, uh, it's not one of the not going to be one of the most watched ones. I know the Japanese uh, titles uh, often sell like in smaller numbers than than the bigger ones, the, the, than the English language titles. You know, in the mainstream more more mainstream films. But um, but yeah, if you can pick up a copy of the Third Murder, it's a sort of court, Japanese courtroom drama slash murder mystery slash detective thriller it's just fucking incredible so good and while we're on this subject we might as well tell you that the episode after the third murder is going to be my choice again and that will be the woman um which isn't available to buy yet but is well it's available to pre-order um but it it will be released by the time we do that episode but um i would suggest pre-ordering it because it's kind of quite a magnificent edition and lucky mcgee tweeted the other day what's it something like i fucking love arrow video so much or something along those (laughs) lines so he's had his copy clearly um but uh yeah, so the third murder next time, then the woman after that. And we'll try and keep you updated about what we're covering um, because, you know, it probably is helpful, isn't it? Uh, right, should we move on to recommendations for the long Good Friday, Dan, or is there anything else you want to say about the film? Uh, I love the soundtrack, but this was the first time I thought it sounded a bit like the Men Behaving Badly music. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> maybe that was it. There was something when I was. Oh, I need to go it's back. More, and mostly at the end, it's the end credits, and I was like, "Oh fuck, it's Men Behaving Badly." There was something else. So there was a recurring kind of motif where I was like, "What the fuck is that? I've heard that exactly that before." <laughs> so maybe it is. Um, oh god. Well, there you go. This film is cancelled. Uh, right. Dan, what would you like to recommend based on the Long Good Friday? Uh, My first recommendation is another sort of quintessential staple of sort of mid-era British crime cinema, directed by Michael Tuckner in 1971, uh, starring Richard Burton and Ian McShane. It's Villain. You seen Villain, Sam? Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. 
uh, interestingly, uh, Richard Burton was one of the men that fought for uh, Bob Hoskins's voice to be left undubbed for the American release of Longer Friday because <laughs> originally they wanted to dub the whole thing in America, uh, sort of Mad Max style. Um, yeah, he, he basically uh, Burton plays both of the Cray brothers, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, not in the you know not like tom hardy did just one character but they've sort of boiled them down into one person uh and it's again it's a story of uh it's very gritty it's not a lot of fun but it's good and yeah it's a it's a story about a a sort of a man who considers himself more important to wide society than he maybe is because of his importance to the small society that he's part of and he doesn't understand the pushback he gets when his his life sort of creeps into the the other areas of the world it's really good. Excellent. Yeah. But Burton's great, you know. Absolutely. That's what you need, really. Fantastic. All right. Yeah, that is a great one. Uh, I, precious arrowheads, I'm going to do my normal thing, which is to recommend a film in these based on the film recommendations that you almost certainly will have seen. However, I'm talking to the one person listening to this, you, yes, you, who has yet to watch Goodfellas. <laughs> uh, it's my <laughs> favourite gangster movie, and it has a, a meatpacking scene, uh, which makes me believe that potentially Scorsese saw this film uh, before he made Goodfellas. He almost certainly did. So, uh, yeah, you don't need me to tell you what Goodfellas is. Goodfellas is Goodfellas. It's fucking amazing. It's the best film ever made. Um, uh, aside from the good, the bad, and the ugly, oh, all the films I I love have the word good in them. Um, anyway, please watch Goodfellas and then watch the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, <laughs> there you go. There's a double bill for you. Damn, what's next? Nice. Well, so I was sort of tempted to recommend Umberto Lenz's Gang War in Milan, but after our conversation about separating the art from the artist, I'm not sure I can do it. Because fuck me, it's a grimy piece of shit. Um, There's loads and loads of parallels. It starts with a murder in a swimming pool. It's about a guy trying desperately to keep hold of his power over a crime syndicate. And then on top of that, uh, Antonio Sabato looks like Mindhorn for the whole film. Um... Yeah, but it's, oh my God, it's really, I mean, Sabato's character runs a prostitution ring, so it is absolutely rife with uh, misogyny. Uh, And then it has a a scene um, that, in direct contrast to Hoskins' character, in Longer Friday shows all of these guys up to be, like these, uh, I mean, anti-hero is a a strong word. I don't think you're ever really meant to root for the guy. You're just meant to be there along for the ride to watch him fail. But but he, him and his gang are horrifically homophobic in one scene. Um, So instead of recommending that, I'm going to recommend an omnibus special with Bob Hoskins talking to Barry Norman uh, about (laughs) central London property scams, which was done off the back of Longer Friday. Very briefly stop you there and let you know that the best way not to recommend something is to not talk about it um no no, i'm still going to talk about it but i feel that it it. comes you know that people listening to this are going to watch that film based on what you just said you are going to get tweets about it but but hopefully if they choose to watch the film they are going to do so knowing that it is innately problematic knowing 
that it deals with some things in a regrettable way. Um, and to be honest, anyone getting into bed with Lindsay on a picture, I mean, as a, as a viewer rather than as a performer, um, is, you know, is, is in for a, an uncomfortable ride. He's not exactly a, a subtle filmmaker. Yeah. Um, I, when, I was, when I was watching it, I was, uh, I was reminded of the uh, audio commentary on the old gatefold laser disc of Cannibal Ferox. Uh, in a particularly unpleasant scene where a woman is hung up by uh, meat hooks through uh, a part of her gendered anatomy. Uh, actually, that sounds sounds like it's the worst of the two options. It's the... Oh, fucking hell. Anyway, <laughs> uh, on the audio commentary, he goes quiet while he's watching the scene and then after a pause, after a little bit of fresh dead air on the commentary, uh, Lindsay just goes, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit ashamed of this movie. <laughs> This is it. And it is one of my favourite moments that, in the podcast. That's very funny. Because he's like, he's facing down his past decisions and he's like, oh, fucking hell, what have I done? <laughs> Amazing. Well, this this is it. Like, I uh, let me make this clear, precious Arrowhead, if you want to watch the film that Dan just recommended, uh, by all means do so. I'm not here to please your taste as long as you're not hurting anyone. I don't care what you watch. I'm just here to make sure that Dan maintains his very high standards as a, uh, a, a high-profile progressive in the current culture. Um, <laughs> I mean, so, I, like, you know, I, it, this always comes with the caveat that I, I do enjoy a lot of problematic cinema. It's, you know, it's really hard just, to get to, just to ratify it, those Dan, two just things. Just accept it. Just accept it. Well, I, I, I kind of do, but then, you know, some people, Sam, try and hold me to task. <laughs> and then I have to come up with excuses. <laughs> And people love listening to it. So long, Matt, continue. Right. Uh, my next recommendation. Oh, just bef- before Oh, no, you, you want to do the Bob you, Hoskins, if, Barry Norman yeah, thing. If yeah, you yeah. Wa- Come on. if you want to watch the Omnibus special, it's not very long. Uh, it's just a segment of a TV show, but it's on YouTube. Search for Bob Hoskins exposes central London property scams <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, and you get to see a fantastic bit of, uh, yeah, a bit of uh, footage of, of Bob and Barry wandering around the, uh, the South Bank complaining about development opportunities being exploited brilliant it's it's great fantastic it's great and it, it, it's an obvious connection to his character in um longer Friday. maybe you could even tweet it when this episode goes up i always say i will do things like that and then i never remember but i will try to and uh my next recommendation is another film you've seen but you might not have seen who knows carlito's way uh, which is another one of my favorite kind of gangstery crime things and i think there is I don't know, there's a spiritual relationship between these films rather than a direct relationship. Um, also, Colito's Way is kind of like Long Good Friday meets Mona Lisa in a kind of weird way. Tonally, I feel like they've got elements of both of them. Um, but yeah, if you enjoy a situation that is kind of escalating out of control, um, I think you will enjoy Carlito's way very much. I, I nice. honestly think it's a masterpiece. I love it so fucking much. I prefer it to Scarface. Um, yeah. So so there we go. Yeah, I'd say it's better than Scarface. Yeah. So Carlito's way and Goodfellas, my recommendations and Dan's were once more <laughs> uh, villain and the omnibus special of Bob Coskins <laughs> talking about London property scams. But if you do want to watch a deeply problematic uh, Italian uh, Eurocrime movie uh, that kind of feels like Michael Caine's character from Mona Lisa in uh, an adaptation of uh, Long Good Friday than Umberto Lenzi's gang war in Milan. There we go. Brilliant. Right. 
uh, past couple of weeks, I will go first because um, because yeah. why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched in these past couple of weeks uh, the man from Laramie, uh, the Anthony Mann, James Stewart Western. Um, seen it before, obviously, very long time ago. Um, but this was my first watch of Eureka's beautiful Blu-ray of the film. And if you haven't seen it, it's James Stewart playing, you know, a slightly kind of darker character. He's kind of more in the vertigo mould than the kind of traditional uh, kind of clean-cut hero or lead or, or whatever you want to call it that he played in his kind of the first half of his career. Um, this is certainly darker than that. And... Yeah, it's just a really, really wonderful, wonderful film. Again, very kind of novel-esque, uh, novelistic. It feels like it, it plays out in chapters as opposed to uh, scenes. Um, and I really loved it. And the disc, uh, it's not a new release. It's been out for a while, but I just finally got to it. Uh, the disc has a magnificent interview with Kim Newman. Um, it's always lovely to see and hear Kim um, uh, but normally I, I see and hear him on horror releases so it's really lovely to see him talk about westerns um, and as you'd expect he is as insanely knowledgeable there as he is everywhere else so yeah. um, it's a really really special extra and a very very special film uh, Man from Laramie available on Eureka on Blu-ray in the UK now um, Dan what have you watched? I've never seen from Man from Laramie, Sam. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, you'd really like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who directed it? A Anthony Mann. Anthony Mann. Oh, yes, you did say. Uh, yeah, well, you know, maybe I'll give it a look. I'm, I'm normally a, uh, a little bit more reluctant with American Westerns, but I'll, um, yeah. Oh, it's, it's great. It's really great. And, and the stuff that Kim says about it, it really adds to it as well. So, yeah. Well, that's it. I, to be honest, I'd say it's all, you know, that's, that's bumped it up the list just the kim's involvement yeah because i'm always interested to he's he's got such a wide knowledge of stuff it's always worth hearing how he appreciates stuff completely um sam do you have a backup do you have a third today do i have a third no i don't why because i've got three and i'm trying to work out which one i have to cut if i have to cut one <laughs> i tell you what i'll just cut my next one you you do you do you are you sure? Yeah, yeah. I'll just do three in a row. Actually, no, I probably should do mine because mine is no, a new No, you should release, do yours. Actually. Um, well, let me, let me do... I'll do the first of mine, then you do yours, then I'll, I'll rattle through my other two. How's that? That's fine. Okay. Just make sure it's uh, not problematic, whatever it is, Dan, for the love of God. Well, I'll reorder them then because <laughs> <it is. laughs> um, I mean, oh, fuck. I mean, the thing is, there's going to be something problematic. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Come on, come on. Let, let's move on. I'm joking. What, what um, have you got? Well, it's a, it's a 1967 surrealist Japanese pinku, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this game. Tell me more. <laughs> um, so, um, Friends of Arrow, Third Window, have put out a, uh, a double bill. I actually became aware of it because the same double bill was put out in Germany and um, Andre, regular listener, uh, mentioned it to me and I was like, well, that title is insane. I have to find that and then it turns out it's available in the uk um it's called inflatable sex doll of the wastelands mm -hmm. uh, aka dutch wife of the desert mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's <laughs> it's a surrealist sort of noir thriller. Um, it's you know as with those early sixties uh, like early Pinku films from Japan. While it does have a sexual content, it's not not particularly explicit. Um, but it's about a a private detective who is hired by a real estate man uh, to try and track down a woman who he has seen in what may have been a snuff film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to track him down, and he the the film starts with him taking the the detective out into the desert to test his like sharpshooting skills because he's like, well, you're going to need to be good at sharpshooting. He puts a little bottle up on a tree, and he says, you're going to have to shoot that within three shots, otherwise you can't have the job. And he's like, I can do it in I can do it in thirteen. And he's like, well, that's not it. That's that that's not what I said. <laughs> and then he shoots it once on like shoots it with the first shot, and then with the other twelve, he cuts the tree in half. Wow. Like every single shot hits home. But then you start to realize that the private detective uh, has his his partner or wife or girlfriend or fiance was killed. Um, and it may have been by the same person who made this snuff film. And he has this sort of like rolling fantasy, like dream sequence of killing the man responsible for killing her at three in the afternoon because that's when she died. But then, as the surrealism starts to take hold, you don't know if the two women are the same woman or whether the woman that the private detective uh, is looking for is a different woman, but he's now got in a relationship with her or whether he's just imagining being in a relationship with his dead partner. Um, And then the film ends with a scene that makes sense of the title of the film and is just jaw-dropping. But weird and slightly problematic it's it's an incredible film good right um but yeah if you like if you like slow weird as fuck japanese cinema from the 60s it'll leave you with an unpleasant taste in your mouth at the end it's i mean yes a little bit of an unpleasant place in your mouth but it's more like that kind of like fresh feeling of having just been slapped you're like what the what the fuck (laughs) Yeah, uh, definitely people will watch that based on that. Um, All right, my next recommendation is Sergio Cabucci's Spaghetti Western, starring Johnny Halliday, The Specialists, um, which is about to be released, uh, I think, tomorrow as we record this. Um, So it will definitely be out by the time this goes up anyway. Um, Yeah, The Specialists is uh, a really, really entertaining and, um, yeah, just... uh, It's not for everyone, I guess, but uh, because it's certainly not up there with Django or Great Silence, but... I find it really fun. I love the character. I love yeah. his, um, like his kind of his unique element of costume, shall we say, um, <laughs> and how useful that is. Uh, it's got a great opening. It, it, it's more of a kind of uh, a mystery than a than a traditional kind of spaghetti western. Um, the plot kind of sees Johnny Halliday's character Hud come to town to investigate the lynching of his brother. Um, and I won't say any more than that because it unfolds in its own way. Um, yeah, the specialists, uh, it's wonderful release by Eureka again, and it's got a fantastic commentary um, from uh, Alex Cox, who obviously is a, oh, wow, a, yeah. a major expert in this field as well. So, um, 
you know, I, one of the things I love about these Blu-rays are, are those kinds of extras that can really enrich my own knowledge of a subject that I feel that I know quite well already. Um, so, yeah, uh, The Specialists, available now on Blu-ray from Eureka. That's it. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I think one of the things I like so much about the Spaghetti Westerns is that they are much more likely to sort of subvert the the Western standards and be a different genre, but within the Western framework. Well, weirdly, uh, actually, the, the man from Laramie and the specialist would make a magnificent double bill because they're both similarly plotted. Um, oh, really? Yeah, uh, James Stewart in Man from Laramie, his sort of driving force is he's investigating the death of his brother. Uh, oh, really? He was a member of the Calvary and, and was, was shot out, uh, shot up in an unusual way. Um, and so he's trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, so it, they are very, very similar uh, films, actually. But, you know, obviously the spaghetti is a little more wild and um, a little crazier. But uh, that's why we love them. That's why we love them. So what's, what's your uh, third recommendation of the episode, Dan? You mean jump straight to... Oh, yeah, my third of, of the recommendation, not the third of the recently. Sorry, yes. Um, so uh, I, uh, a musician friend of mine asked me if I'd seen... A, she's a specifically a film uh, composer and a uh, roboticist who makes musical robots. Asked me if I'd seen this, um, uh, and it uh, gave me cause to dig it out. Uh, it's Colossus, the Forbin Project, uh, from 1970, directed by Joseph Sargent, who did The Taking of Pelham, one, two, three, among other things. He's got a really interesting career, actually. Um, and I was sort of looking back through it, and there's a lot I've not seen, but a lot of stuff that looks really interesting. Um, and, um, yeah, it's kind of like, if you draw a straight line from Asimov's... Uh, it, Isaac Asimov wrote iRobot, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you draw a straight line from Isaac Asimov's iRobot uh, to Terminator then this would kind of sit snugly on the middle of that line. It's about a, an American supercomputer that's going to be given autonomy over America's uh, nuclear defense systems uh, going online and immediately alerting the uh, American government to the existence of a similar machine in Russia. Um, and it, uh, it requests permission to talk to the, to the machine in Russia to sort of like communicate with it um within minutes they've developed the two machines have developed their own language that they're using to communicate back and forth which is interesting because that's exactly what happened when google introduced two ai machines uh, a few years ago was that they made their communication more efficient by generating a new language and from then on the film is largely about uh humanity trying to stop this sort of supercomputer this gestalt supercomputer they've built from uh, from becoming too powerful to to resist um, from taking over the world and it's unfucking believably good and you'll know what I mean when I say it's a very seventies film <laughs> in its structure and tone. Cool. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's got a UK blue already. It's going to come out in the US on Shout Factory in the near future, I believe. Great. Um, yeah, it's really good. Excellent. Uh, right. Um, yep. 
Oh, and then, oh yeah, and then I guess my last one. Hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> did you... Oh, you got, have you got another one? No, no, you, didn't you do... Oh, did I start, no, then I, you went, then I yeah, went... Yeah, you did, you, yeah, then exactly. I did Inflatable Sex Store, and then you, and then Colossus. Yeah. So yeah, last last one uh, is uh, Out on Indicator. It's The Third Secret, uh, 1964, from Charles Crichton, who did like Lavender Hill Mod and Titfield Thunderbolt. Oh, and um, uh, your favourite, um, Fish Called Wanda, Sam. Um, fuck you which is <laughs> fuck I was, you I was looking at that in his filmography I was thinking fuck you know what it is kind of like a modern version of one of those old Ealing comedies don't you fucking don't you bring the wrath of the fish heads um, which is the name of people who love a fish called Wanda don't you bring oh, I didn't that, 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 that is enormous there a, is, army of, of is fans there a weaponized down upon of fans? my twitter don't you get me doxxed by the fish heads, Dan. You didn't have to say anything. You could have just been like, yeah, I love it. I've made up the fish right. heads, so that's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was I was surprised, but I wouldn't have been very surprised, if you see what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, There's a lot of yeah. a lot of weird people find each other on the internet, Sam. <laughs> it's very true. That's how we met. No, um, but anyway, yeah, exactly. Dan, tell, tell me about this this film. Uh, third secret uh it's again uh it's it's from uh 64 it's a black and white uh british kind of like semi-murder mystery it starts with a man uh who's been shot in the head being found by his uh sort of maid he's a he's a psychiatrist he's in his office uh, and his last words uh i messed up i messed up please tell them and then he dies and uh, and the police are like, well, it was suicide. His fingerprints were on the gun and the angle of the shot and, uh, you know, all that indicates it was suicide. So case closed. And his very precocious daughter uh, tracks down a TV new like a journalist who also happened to be a, a patient of her father's and, con- and, and convinces him that it was definitely murder and he should help her investigate uh, this. And it's... Oh, it's really good. I would say it suffers slightly in the thir- in the second act from me thinking I had figured it out too early and being like, oh, no, I'm just waiting for the fucking characters to catch up. But I was wrong, and it was different to what I thought, and it's fucking great. <laughs> cool. Um, but on a theme, uh, he's a little bit fucking pushy with some of the female characters. Dan, I think we just need to let this go. I think we just need to accept that you're a terrible person and just, just move on. <laughs> I, I, Sam, I genuinely thought for a second you were going to say, I think we need to accept that old films tend to have a problematic element. But no, 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 no. It was, it was pointed. Far more pointed. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to do a quick little recommendation, actually. I've just thought of one. Yeah, go on. um, the Crazies, which I did on my little YouTube show, on channel oh, yeah. X called Obscure Rama, and it is available. Obviously, Arrow have it, and it's on the Arrow Video channel, uh, which I've been enjoying. Um, on yeah, uh, yeah. which you can get through Amazon Prime um, for barely any money at all. I would highly recommend subscribing to the Arrow Video channel if you listen to this podcast. For goodness' sakes, because it will help you watch the films very easily um, that we talk about. Um, though, obviously home entertainment forever please also buy the blue yeah physical but, media yeah but if there are any gaps uh, then uh, it, it will be filled by the the arrow video channel so um do you get yeah. the do you get access to the extras on the arrow video channel sam uh i think there are some bits and pieces on there but not everything so that's why okay. i say very much do still buy the blu-rays but you so know, yeah that's good it's a good stop if you're dipping your toe in the water yeah perfect if you're a completist 
um, yeah. physical media. Yeah. So if you want to hear me talk yeah, more about the crazies, then do watch Obscure Armor, which is on Channel Hex's YouTube channel and probably on my Twitter account somewhere. And that leads me in nicely to Dan. How can people? Oh wait, let's do our normal thing, and then <laughs> you know, and then say we haven't got anything. So extra features. Extra, extra features. features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. No extra features. Dan, how can people contact you on the internet? Oh no, we've got a we've got an email <laughs> from JR. Uh, this was actually from a little while ago. Uh, we didn't get to it last time. Uh, hey, Sam and Dan, just wanted to write uh, in from the state, Indiana, to show some support. Deep into quarantine here. I haven't left my house in three weeks except to walk my dog, uh, but I have been burning through a lot of Blu-rays. Uh, just started going through my Arrow, Herschel Gordon Lewis releases last night. Uh, I still don't like 2000 Maniacs. I still love Wizard of Gore. <laughs> I wanted to offer kudos on the ongoing discussion on the issues of Dress to Kill. I'm a reluctant owner of the Criterion Blu-ray and have a trans mother, uh, trans male brother-in-law. I'm very aware of the issues. Still, there are some shots in the movie that are near breathtaking. It's a conundrum, but if you wanted to, you could make the case that the movie is simply an attack on psychologists. Although, uh, altogether, and the final monologue is a wink to the audience that, may, uh, that maybe they are altogether unreliable. At least that's what I tell myself when I can't sleep. Also, I wouldn't recommend the film to my own therapist, so there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the show, and I'm always uh, impressed by your knowledge. Uh, although uh, I thought I watched too many movies, but you guys make me feel like I could be much, much worse. So thank you, JR, for writing in. It's really, really nice to hear uh, from people. And it is a, uh, a very timely email, given our conversations today. Indeed. Right, yes, thank you for that email. And yeah, please do email us whatever you want. Uh, but in particular, as I say, any Arrow Academy titles you want us to cover, oh, yeah. do let us know. All right, Dan, how can people find you on the internet? I am at 13fingerfx uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. I don't think I've posted anything on Instagram for a while. Uh, I'll try and rectify that. Uh, Twitter's uh, intermittent uh, complaints about quarantine. Uh, you will have to have a look at my tweets to find out what uh, direction I lean. Uh, and then pictures of my dog and occasionally stuff about films I've worked on. <laughs> Lovely. I am at Sam Ashurst on Twitter, all one word, it is my name. Uh, and I'm on there intermittently, normally retweeting people, but every now and then I will pass a comment and, you know, get myself into trouble. So uh, do follow me on there for that. Uh, and also, as I said, I have a little YouTube show. It's called Obscure Rama. Uh, it's a regular look, a monthly look now, really, at... Um, weird movies from the psychotronic encyclopedia of film and there's a big crossover with the kind of films we talk about on here so uh if you're interested in that just search for obscure rama channel hex and i'm sure it'll pop up right that's it for this week this fortnight we will be back next time as i said with the third murder and until then make sure you keep yourself very safe and thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time that's a promise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>